the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, it's Thursday. We're one day closer to the weekend. Going to be a nice, uh, nice day today. Uh, going to be warm. Uh, I won't say it's going to be massively sunny, but it's going to be a decent day today. I uh, feel that you'll be happy with it. I know I'm looking forward to it as well. They're saying, uh, you know, some clouds, a lot of sun, high of 77. Tomorrow, kind of the same, except the possibility of a scattered thunderstorm. And and here's the reason we're talking scattered thunderstorms. The humidity is uh, getting ready to start climbing again, and we all know what that is like. Uh, 85 degrees are forecasted high tomorrow, but the real feel will be 91 because of the humidity in the air. might be a little higher than that. So um, we're starting to move into warmer temperatures. It's not like I don't I don't mind because I don't mind. <laughs> it's my kind of weather. I'm liking it. All right. So uh, I don't know if I sent it to Elizabeth or not. I have to make sure. Uh, but if I haven't, I'll make sure that I send it and we get it uh, on the uh, on the Facebook. But I I finally got my mask in yesterday. You know those masks that you keep seeing. On uh, like uh, Facebook, uh, the ads forum, or maybe on your uh, trying to think where I'm saying uh, texts and things of that nature that come in on your Instagram. You'll see them a lot on Instagram. They're out advertising these masks that they're they're like the kind that you wear if you're out riding a motorcycle or something, and you pull up. You got it sits around your neck and then you just kind of pull it up on the front and over your ears and uh, there's no loops or anything like that and uh, it's got a picture on it a lot of people have gone with the american flag and all of that i went with the joker the joker smile and that's what uh, it finally got here yesterday jr have you have you gone with any of these small companies that are selling stuff and and ordered it from them and then weighed it I I just got my mask yesterday, and I ordered it the second day that we were asked to uh, stay home. All right, so eight weeks, nine weeks ago, and it finally got here, and it came to me. And this is what I was I, I thought was interesting. It came first class uh, by uh, you know, who was it? Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, I forget which delivery company. I don't want to name one and and be wrong. But uh, they delivered it, and I'm thinking to myself, it's first class by them. It didn't take them eight weeks. So what I'm thinking yeah. happened is you order 
these things, and then they made them. That's what I think happened, and that's why it it took so long. You know, they didn't go out and print, you know, 100,000, figured they'd sell 100,000 or even 10,000. They just took the orders, and then they put in, hey, we need these made, and it took them forever to get them made. Yeah, and it no, took- you're right. I, my wife, she, I mean, look, first of all, I'm, I tried to order a mask on you know, first week, second week, third week, fourth week, and everything was sold out and continued to be sold out or back ordered. Yeah. And my wife actually uh, ordered us a couple of masks, and hers actually got in about a week before mine. So I finally have a mask, but I got it about two days ago. So Okay, now, is yours I mean, as cool as mine? It's not. You showed me that <laughs> picture. is hysterical. Mine is very... Uh, Blase. Yours is yours has got some character. So yeah, I, it was funny. I it came in the mail yesterday. I didn't say anything to Linda, and I went back to the bedroom, and I put it on, and I put my sunglasses on, and I and I put my veteran hat on, and I came out, and she says, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. Sure I'll did. see what I'll see how people respond today. I got a. I'm going to have uh, lunch today for the first time in several months uh, with a buddy of mine, Ed Monk. You know Ed. And yeah. uh, he and I are getting together for lunch. And I'm going to wear my mask going in. I hope somebody doesn't shoot me thinking that I'm somebody coming in to shoot people or something. I, it, uh, it's that kind oh, of mask, yeah. folks. you got to see it. Uh, it will get, if, if you saw it, you'd do a double take. I really do believe you'd do a double take on it. But I just, I didn't want to have a mask like everybody else. And I've been wearing those just simple, you know, hook behind your ear masks and uh, that you get at the hospital or whatever around. And, and, and I can't stand those things. Those things are hot. I, I, they get hot on my face They're fast. Hot, and yeah. the, the, this, uh, this mask is made of a light uh, material. And it stays nice and nice and cool. So I like that a lot. Really do. Well, I, I got to let you know, Jr. I'm I'm uh, waiting on Judge Hyde's office to answer a letter that I sent to them, and I'm going to call them today, make sure they got it. And I forgot to send it. it's an FOI request, and I forgot to send it, uh, you know, to them. Uh, Certified. I should have sent a certified letter so that they had to sign for it. So I may have to send it again. And uh, just to let you know, it says, uh, Judge Hyde, under the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act, I request electronic copies via email or electronic disk of the following public records. Any records received from Rainwater, Holt, and Sexton, or any of their attorneys or any other attorneys relating to advice about red flag laws, Second Amendment sanctuary legislation, resolutions, or Bill of Rights sanctuary legislation and resolution. So, I, you know, I've got a, a form letter, uh, and uh, Elizabeth takes care of these for me, and she sends them out. Uh, we're working another one, and we're working it through a lawyer. And uh, we're sending one to UCA about the uh, Confucius Institute over there. And and I want to know everything there is to know about it because uh, this whole, you know, the thousand talent guy up there at U of A, he's been um, arre- not arre- well, he's been arre- charged 
he's not been found guilty of taking money from the Chinese government. And, um, you know, the, the thousand talents they have, uh, the Congress has uh, gone after that organization because they actively recruit spies here in the United States. So uh, we got a lot of things to kind of find out about what's going on here in the state about that stuff. Yeah. Scary, brother. Yeah, I was about to say, man, yeah, you're on top of it, though. You've got a lot of irons in the fire with all that stuff. Yeah, well, you got to. If, no, if yeah. nobody questions them, they'll just keep on doing it. You call, you know, you might call up and say, hey, did you guys do any kind of background information? Oh, yeah, sure, we did it completely, uh, you know, we checked it out. You know, well, what did you check out? Well, we, you know, we did our due diligence. Well, I want to know what their due diligence was and what they found. Right. Right. You know, that's no, that's important. supposed to be supposed to be all public record. Let's ha- let's, you know, cough it up. Let's see it. I, I got to talk to you about one thing. It's got me kind of irritated today. Don't you think it's ridiculous that they're not going to allow uh Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts or or whomever it might be, go out and put flags on on uh, uh, the dead military people this weekend. I mean, it's Memorial Day for God's sakes, and and what walking around in a cemetery out in the open uh, is, is so dangerous. I I don't I don't see it being dangerous. I'm, it's more dangerous. If I go to uh, Walmart or Target or someplace like that, then it is going out and putting a flag. Yeah, I bet, uh, you know, I figured if we're going to be able to open up restaurants and retail stores and et cetera, et cetera, there should certainly be a, uh, you would think, a safe way uh, to carry that out for sure. I think that's going to be a, a disappointing and frustrating uh you know, turn of events for a lot of, a lot of folks, a lot of veterans. Um, and so it, I don't know, but they this sort of just kind of goes back to what we've talked about before. This is just a, a strange time. Some things make sense. Some things don't make sense. You know, uh, you, you talked about it, uh, just with your FOIA request, you know, trying to, uh, hold people accountable and, and go after the truth, but it's just, it's just strange. You're just not really sure what exactly is, uh, know what's up and what's down and that sort of thing so it doesn't make a lot of sense in some of these decisions that are being made i gotta tell you one of the things that does bother me uh, about this whole quarantine and and uh, the covid19 and 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 i'll expand on this when we come back because it's time for our first break is we have made people afraid of other people i mean there's always been a lot for a lot of people now because of the shootings and things that have happened in our culture that they're uh, concerned about, you know, this or that. But we, we've never been concerned about sitting in a restaurant with people or sitting in a movie uh, with people. And uh, it, it really worries me. I mean, we've heard of I don't know if you've heard about them or not, but I've heard of people pulling guns on people telling them to keep their six-foot distance from them and things of that nature. Wow. Uh, you know, this is crazy. People, and, and I blame the media for this because they have, they have instilled, I believe, 
a, a whole uh, fog of fear on the, on the world, in a sense, but definitely yeah. here in the United States where we have that 24-7 news cycle, and they repeat everything that anybody says whether they know it's true or not. Let's talk about that when we come back. Uh, J.R. Davis is here. He's from with the, the Gilmore Group. We'll get into talking about some politics, not a whole lot of politics to talk about other than Pelosi and Biden. Biden showing, you know, how really stupid he is. He conti- he continues to amaze me about that. And, and Pelosi really amazes me with the stuff that she comes up. We can talk a little bit about Susan Rice as well. 18 minutes after 6 on a Thursday. Let's take a break. we got more coming your way in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show yesterday. Out paying a bill, uh, had stopped by the bank downtown at Regions, and I was going through there. And um, as I came out, I, I, I hung a left heading to 89 Main Street. And uh, if I went right, I would be going towards the high school, going and going over the railroad tracks there, trying to give you a, a little visual about where I was. And then if I took a left. I was going to go by the Baptist Church that would have been there on on Main Street. Right there on that corner, there is a florist uh, that has been there ever since I've been in Cabot, which now has been 17 or you know, 17 years I've lived in Cabot now. And um, we were sitting at the stoplight, and I looked across, and I didn't see, uh, I had, they had a sign up uh, that they got their sign that they got uh, on a pole out front where they can post messages. And it said, closed. And I, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the business. And typically in their windows, they got all kinds of, you know, teleflora and this and that. And I'm looking and there's nothing, not anything. And I looked at, at Linda, and I said, I think they've gone out of business. Now, if anybody knows that they're just closed and they just took everything down, is you know, let me know. But I'm telling you, I, I drove by, looked in the windows, and there's nothing in that shop. That looks like they went out of business. Now, think about it for a moment. Of course, they've taken it on the, on the chin. Uh, they sold flowers. There, was no, there were no proms this year. There were no graduations this year. How many marriages have been delayed this year? All of those specific uh, it, you know, events I just talked about, usually uh, there's, there's flowers involved. Funerals have been put off. Yep. You know, not yep. buying floral bouquets. They've gone out of business. They've been there since I before I was in in Cabot. I'm I'm sure I bet you they've been there thirty or forty years, uh, RD, and now they're gone. They're just gone. Well, yeah, I'm telling you, it's. I think you know we're two months into this. There's, uh, yeah, I think real reason to believe that if this continues, you're going to see more of those shuttered businesses. I mean, I think one sector too, Dave, that people aren't talking enough about is the lodging industry. Um, when you talk about hospitality, I think a lot of people kind of just assume. 
assume that's all grouped together, but lodging is separate and apart. And, can, and consider just right there in Cabot, um, you know, or especially here in Little Rock, how many hotels and motels there are here that aren't able to operate at all. Yeah, they're uh, ghost towns. This crisis, yes, absolutely. They they have that most of them have, you know, most of your your bigger ones and even some of your smaller ones. You know, they have a coffee shop or a bar or a restaurant in the lobby. Uh, they those can't be opened. Uh, you know, as far as you know, the hotel, no one's going there to get curbside out of the lobby of the Hampton Inn or something like that. You know, and so you yeah. have these empty rooms, um, and that's something that people. And I don't think they understand that, you know, we're a state where, yes, agriculture is our number one industry, but uh, tourism is our second. Um, uh-huh. and it's a very robust industry, and lodging is a huge part of that, especially for these local uh, sales tax collections and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of sectors that are going to be very uh, – that are going to be faced with some very difficult hurdles for coming back after this even after being shut down for, for two months, which we may not think in our head is a lot of times, but when you look at a local business or a small business, most of them only have sort of those cash reserves to keep themselves afloat two to three weeks maybe. And those are some of the good ones. Um, they kind of have that uh, reserve in the bank that can stay afloat for two or three weeks. So obviously the federal uh, money has helped. I think some of the state money, uh, has helped, but uh, we certainly have to be able to put ourselves in a situation where we're doing it safely, but our but we're helping our economy return to somewhat normal. Because if we don't, it's going to be there are going to be some devastating effects long term on our economy that we may not be able to, uh, you know, bring back for years. Uh, and that's a scary prospect, but that's very very real. Yeah, it really is, and then let's let's go further with this. And I think it's important to go further with this because I had a, a what I consider a long, uh, most people would say a, a short conversation uh, with somebody on uh, Facebook about this because they made the statement about. Uh, you know, capitalists, just because of greed, they want to get the economy open again and yada, yada, yada. You know, and I I just jumped in there and I said, you know, you're, you're, what you say about capitalism bothers me for the simple reason that capitalism as an economic system has done more for raising people out of poverty giving people a chance at a decent life and education and and everything that we think is important uh, over any other, you know, economic system, especially socialism and by no doubt communism. And uh, it, it just amazed me. And a person saying, well, what's the capitalist idea for reopening the economy? And I said, well, uh, the ca- it's an economic system, so we're really talking apples and oranges here. But uh, understand that we want to see, you know, the the peaceful exchange of goods and services again back as soon as we can, so that uh, people can make money, people can pay their bills. And I just I went into a, a long mischief about it, and uh, 
they just couldn't get it. Every capitalist, they thought the only reason ca- uh, capitalists were out there wanting to reopen the economy is because it was greed. I mean, that's the whole thing, greed. I mean, I can make it. If they, if they want to, I can sit down and, and, and take you back to Gecko in Wall Street, and I can prove to you that greed is good. <laughs> yeah, I really well, look, can. I, I think people need to understand, too, that, you know, these people, including myself, that want to reopen the economy, uh, you can do so safely. There are yes. certain parameters that are being put in place. But let me just explain something to you. You know, to, for anyone to say uh, or to accuse someone else who wants the economy to reopen quickly uh, and then calls them, you know, some greedy individual who is putting capital over lives is completely false. These people want to live. This is their livelihood. Many of these individuals will have nothing to come back to if we do not open this economy, which I, I commend Governor Hutchinson. I think that um, this has been an unprecedented uh, uh, time in our in the history of not just our country, but the world. And I think he has assembled a, a great team uh, with obviously Dr. Nate Smith and others. Um, and, you know, but for everything else has happened, the governor has been very, very uh, committed to. Back with you, uh, J.R. Davis is my special guest on Thursdays at 6 a.m. He's with the Gilmore Group. We're talking, uh, it's political when you talk about uh, the quarantine and everything and about COVID-19 now. Uh, The politics of it are coming to the surface all the time now. Uh, Your weather, though, is really important to you, I know. Uh, For the rest of today, uh, some clouds, some sun. High of 77 tomorrow, clouds and sun, a thunderstorm will be rumbling around a little bit. On Saturday, humid with periods of sun, uh, looking for a high of 86, getting into my kind of weather. Sunday, shower and thunderstorms in the area as what they will be on Monday as well. High of 87 on Sunday, 82 uh, here in uh, uh, central Arkansas. Uh, for that day. Right now in Cabot, it's 57. Uh, In Little Rock, it's 59. And if you're up in Conway, it's 59 degrees. So we're going to have a nice warm day today. It'd be pleasant. Nothing wrong with that. We've had a few days of uh, dry weather. If you need to get out and mow the lawn and stuff, you can do that. Many of you can because you're just like me. I do my job uh, here in the morning, and then uh, I'm not at the station I'm at my house, been doctor ordered to stay at my house. I I think I've got things worked out, Jr. that not next Thursday, but the Thursday after, you and I might be able to get back into the studio. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It does sound pretty good. Yeah. uh, Welcome news. And you you also know. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you also know that I use Clorox bleach wipes on the equipment and on the counters and everything. I, I wipe down the studio uh, in between guests and, and all of that, just to keep things keep things clean. You know, it, it is still the end of flu season, the way I look at it. All right, you were making a point about capitalism when we left, and it was a good point because capitalists, you know, we can't make any money if everybody's dead. 
Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like you have right now, you have this argument, especially from I'm not just going to put on the liberals. There's just people out there that think that you know uh, those who want the economy to open are doing so out of greed uh, and this inability to understand that people are still at risk and that they would rather make a dollar than save a life. And that could not be further from the truth. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's not either or. It's not. It's, it's no, both. It's, not. it's both. I mean, people want something to come back to. These are their livelihoods. And in many ways, too, Dave, this is the American dream that people have worked so hard for for years to provide not just for their own future, but for their family's future, for their children's future, for their grandchildren's future. And so when you shut the economy down for two months, uh, people begin to get pretty anxious and antsy because people want something to come back to, a life to come back to. Um, I think if you polled most of Americans right now, there'd be some that are still concerned uh, with the risk factors, but many of them would probably, uh, f- you know, forego the, those risks uh, or, or excuse me, take on those risks if they could return to somewhat normal uh, day of life as far as going back to work. Or if you are a small business, being able to open your doors with few restrictions so that's what I'm talking about. People just want a life to come back to. And and I think everyone should understand that, whether or not you you feel one way or another, at least understand and respect where other people are coming from. Well, and I listen to people, and I go back to my initial statement from this hour, and that is I believe the media has put an inordinate amount of fear into people because – they have done nothing more than talk about every day, hey, we got this many new infections, we have this many new deaths. Uh, I want to know, I want a really good study of this to find out if all of the COVID deaths that they have reported was specifically COVID-related or was it because somebody has, was already, you know, had, had been hospitalized uh, because they're not keeping their diabetes under control, they're not keeping yeah. their their they're not taking their heart medicine the way they're supposed to, that they're obese, that they're not you know getting out and exercising a little bit and, and all the rest, folks. If we want to do it that way, then you need to live in a totalitarian uh, state. You need to live over in China. And Dave, you know this better than most, uh, you know, being in media. But look, this is all about the dollar. Uh, you know, yes, we had these 24-hour news networks, you know, in the 90s when uh, uh, CNN started things off, or maybe it was the late 80s. But, uh, you know, they didn't do so because they felt like, hey, you know, we want to do this public service, you know. And it's just have news on 24-7. It's a moneymaker, and it has been, and it continues to be a moneymaker. Uh, and so, look – when you're talking about the coronavirus and this pandemic 24-7, I promise you, these three news stations, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, I bet you their ratings have never been higher in the last six days right. because people are home watching, and they know people are watching. And so it's doom and gloom. It's every story, every anecdote that, that might uh, bring in a few viewers uh, or a few more viewers than, than you know normal. I mean, that, that's how these news networks operate. And so 
you know, I actually think it was Oprah of all people who basically told people, Hey, you probably need to stop watching the news. It's super depressing. Like, you know, you get overreacting, you, you overreact to most of the things you see. Uh, and it scares people from going back out. Uh, that's, that's my sentiment too. I mean, look, news is good. Get, you know, uh, you have to be able to sort of filter it out and, and make sure you take everything with a grain of salt and do your own research. But News obviously serves a purpose, but when you're sitting at home all day long, worried about, you know, when you're going to be able to go back to work or when you're going to be able to open up your business and you turn on the news and all you hear is, uh, gloom and doom, absolute worst case scenarios. Uh, I think that's a disservice to the country. And, and so, you know, I, I'm hoping that over the next couple of weeks, we start telling the stories uh, the success stories of those who have been able to reopen, who are thriving, the states, uh, you know, that had uh, maybe doom and gloom projections that have actually come out of this uh, fairly well. Did you see Governor DeSantis's comments? I believe. Oh yeah. Two, I mean, uh, he came out swinging, and I love that. You don't really. I mean, I don't associate. Uh, you know, that that confrontation or, or kind of animation with DeSantis all that much, but man, he. Uh, he came out swinging at the media at the White House, and, and he told the story that I think a lot of Republicans, and I honestly believe a lot of independents and just sort of your average Americans are frustrated by, and that is the fact that we have seen numbers. Look, 100,000 deaths in America, that's, that's terrible. However, the projection, Dave, as you remember, called for so many more deaths. Millions. So many more infections. Um, we were going to have millions and millions of people die across the world, and that hasn't been the case. And again, it's not to uh, you don't want to uh, you know play down the deaths that have happened. It's a tragedy, but at the same time, too, it's not at all what people thought this was going to be. And every time we see those projections, things continue to change. I mean, that study coming out of Washington State, uh, the, st- the numbers coming out of Johns Hopkins. They continue to change, and for the most part, since the beginning of March, those numbers have trended downward, which is yes. good news. But the fact is, you know, you've got to start telling the real stories that are coming out of this COVID nineteen, which again includes Georgia and Florida, where yes, Georgia's had a spike, but their hospitalizations haven't spiked. Uh, you, you've had this idea that. Number day for the first month, it was, we don't have enough ventilators. We don't have enough hospital beds. We're going to be inundated. People are you know, going to die as a result. We never reached that level. The closest we got was New York City, and, and they, they opened up, I think, three different field hospitals, one of which was in Central Park. Then you brought in uh, the, the uh, submarine. Then you brought in... Um, I think they, they turned a tennis, one of the tennis courts into a field hospital as well. So, but they never filled them up, not even close. Yeah, they, so, brought the, my, they brought in hope. They brought in the ship, oh, yeah, hope. Yeah, and so, and, and so I say all that and say, look, it, it never, they never even got close to capacity. And that was the epicenter. And so, you know, all of this doom and gloom you constantly hear about, it never happened. Uh, and now we have to start telling the stories of the states that, you know, maybe the media needs to come back and say, hey, we were wrong, or at least report the fact that Florida is doing really well, despite what many called the next epicenter. 
after New York, and it never panned out that it way. It never so, happened. Um, it's frustrating, uh, and I understand most Americans and Arkansans sitting home watching this saying, where's the good news because we know it exists? Let's talk about it. Yeah, because people, and when you look at news now, you got to look at, you know, what's happening on the Internet. And so you write uh, your headlines that gets people's attention so that they're click on the story. That's called clickbait. Oh, yeah. You know about it as well as I do. Oh, yeah. uh, for instance, let me give you a good example. I've, I've got a story I just pulled up today off of Fox News. Here's, here's the headline. Scotty Pippen is beyond livid about how Michael Jordan portrayed him in The Last Dance, written by Daniel Canova from Fox News. If you go to the show, or to the story, the first paragraph says, Horace Grant isn't the only former teammate of Michael Jordan who is unhappy with how he was portrayed in ESPN's The Last Dance. You can add Hall of Famer Scottie Pippen to that list, too. Then you get one, two paragraphs about Pippen, and the rest of the story, which is about another eight or nine paragraphs, is all recapping the the, uh, Horace Grant story again. Clickbait. That's what that is. Clickbait. Just to get you to click on the story. 100% 100% right. And that, and again, that's where every time you turn on the news, uh, and look, I, I really appreciate our local media. I think that, again, you know, there's a difference there. You know these individuals. You've seen them out there. You know they're working hard. Many of them are uh, newer uh, to media, you know, coming out of school. Maybe it's their second stop, uh, you know, and same thing with the newspapers and things like that. But media across the board – it's it's you're trying to make money as as is most uh, of what we do right I mean there's a, there's a for profit sort of mentality for a lot of these things you have to keep all that in mind but especially with national media it's driving the dollar you know it's what Dave just said about clickbait it's 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 all that sort of stuff you're trying to get as many eyeballs as possible many ears as you can get and sometimes. Many times uh, that news for what it is is manipulated or it's turned into something that maybe it wasn't or or the fear is sort of, uh, you know, um, exacerbated to a point. And so, you know, it's just I I agree uh, that you got to just you got to take all your news with a grain of salt and also limit your intake because at the same time. Yep. Uh, this is not the end of the world. We're going to get through this. Uh, there will be a return of normalcy to some degree. I mean, we had, you know, obviously the way we flew changed drastically after 9-11, but we all still fly, you know? And it's the same thing that there will be some sense of normalcy return. Things will be different to a degree, um, but we certainly don't need to just absolutely let our economy uh, or let's stop throwing the dirt on the coffin of the economy and let's let it have another chance uh, to restore itself, get people back to work. And I think we'll be pretty surprised this summer if we do that, how quickly our country and state bounces back from this. I agree. we got to get a break in. Final break for this hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. My guest, J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group. When we come back, i got a couple of more things I want to add to this discussion. A good discussion uh, bringing things into reality again. You know, figure 
this is the way things are going to be. The end of the world is not happening, folks, as you're watching. The end of the world is not happening. More on the Dave Ellswick Show when we return. All right, you just said something during the break, Jr. We got to talk about it because you are you're right on, and that is if you're in the media, how many positive stories of how this virus is being mitigated do you want to report versus yeah, how good. many stories yeah. you want to report? of how bad it is knowing that people will tune back in to see one, is it getting worse or two, is it getting better? Exactly right. I mean, we just talked about that the the news, all of this, it's driving advertisement. There's more eyes and ears watching national news than ever before. So why in the world would you want to tell, you know, happy, successful stories about COVID-19 right now over the last 60 days there, I guarantee there will never be better ratings this long and this consistent for national news media than right now. And as long as COVID-19 is still sort of front and center on people's minds, they're going to continue to watch the news because they want the latest information. And, you know, uh, the the news executives know that uh, they understand that, and they're going to continue to drive that and 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 basically, you know, squeeze it for all it's worth and drain it uh, for every last penny that they can get. And I'm just telling people that you're not going to see a lot of those happy stories because uh-uh. that's not what's going to pay the bills uh, for this, you know, for, for these news conglomerates. So. You know, that's one thing just to keep in mind. And again, I'm not saying don't be, you know, don't take safety precautions and, and don't put yourself at risk because there are risks out there, certainly. But there are also good stories that we're not hearing about because that's not the clickbait uh, that, uh, you know, that drives people to watch national news. You know, I'm going to tell you what, right now they could open every restaurant in the state 100%. All right. One hundred percent. If they wanted to, they could open up all the movie theaters. One hundred percent. I mean, everything could go back to let's do this the way we were doing it before. They could do that. And guess what? I wouldn't be partaking in it because I'm type two diabetic. I'm 67 years old. I'm a high risk person. I know that. And I'll uh, decide where I should go to uh, take, you know, take, have some fun or whatever, go out and eat once in a while, whatever. I may, I, I will do that. I'll make that decision. I did not need the government to shut everything down to tell me how bad this was. That's exactly right. I mean, this is the same, we, you know, really kind of funny. I heard Dr. Uh, Nate Smith, the, the secretary of health uh, talk yesterday briefly about, um, uh, I think it was during the CARES Act steering committee, but he was just he was discussing, um, you know, that they're ready to implement a vaccine when it's available because of their experience with the H1N1 um, uh, pandemic. He called it, uh, you know, a few years back. But Dave, none of us remember anything like this then, uh-huh. you know, and 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 you, because you took those sort of. This, your, his personal responsibility, you take that on. You say, look, I don't need to go out. It's flu season. There's this new strain. You need to be careful. 
They'll be around a lot of people, that sort of thing. And I agree with you. I think the problem is, and if you talk to a lot of the health experts, the issue is that there's a lot of people that won't take those precautions, that will get sick, and that'll inundate the health system here in Arkansas. But the problem is we should have that choice to a degree, right? I mean, if it's so I bad, think we understand so. it. And that's where, I, again, I go back to Governor Hutchinson. I think he, he has done the right thing by by resisting the stay-at-home order. And now, you know, we're in, uh, you know, approaching the end of May. Everything is open, at least to some degree. There may be some uh, parameters in place. But I think by, you know, really, Dave, first week of June, second week of June, I think, you know, we'll be in phase two. Um, and I think we'll be pretty much back to normal uh, by the end of June here in the state of Arkansas, which will be such a welcome relief after a very long two months. Yeah, I'm I'm all about it. I can't wait for SEC football. I'll be honest, NFL football. I'm watching Korean baseball. What can I say? But, the, the, <laughs> you know, the bottom line is a couple of things, last points I want to make here is, one, how much did things change? Uh, they said wash your hands a lot more, you know, make sure you wash your hands uh, as far as that goes. And, uh, you know, social distance. If you see somebody who looks sick, stay away from them. Well, folks, that's what you're supposed to do when cold season comes. Wash your hands. Stay away from people that have a cold. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we finally have moved beyond in our, our uh, culture now of that going to work sick is some sign of being a, a manly man or something and, and not a sign of being stupid. Uh, now it's a, it's a sign of being stupid and not being a manly man. And then on top of that, you know, they keep talking about we need a vaccine. When we get a vaccine, everything go back to normal. Really? How many people will take the vaccine? I ask you, if you got a Facebook page, if you have a Facebook page, just put this question. When the vaccine for COVID-19 is available, will you take it? And you'll be stunned at how many people will say, no, they won't. Just like they won't take a flu shot. There's flu shots out there. They help you mitigate the flu, maybe not keep you completely from getting it, but the severity of it will not be as bad, but there's still countless people that will not take a flu shot because they think that it's still a live virus they're injecting in you, not a dead virus, that uh, they think that it's some kind of uh, undercover government program to uh, kill off the weak and things of that nature. I'm just telling you, uh, what will get us back to normal is when people accept the COVID-19 as just everyday life. That's what to do it. JR, it's always a pleasure, brother. Hey, right here too, Dave. Thanks for having me on. And uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll see each other face to face. We will, I think, on in June, probably June the 4th, I'm, I'm, I'm saying. All right. We'll see you later, JR. Thanks All for right. the time. We appreciate it. We come back. Uh, we will talk to Mr. Hogan. He's going to tell us what the president talked to the governor about yesterday.
All right, let's move into the second hour of the Thursday show. My thanks to J.R. Davis for joining us last hour from the uh, Gilmore Group. Always a pleasure to have him on with the uh, show. He's got some uh, good insights. Uh, got, uh, uh, you know, COVID-19 is kind of directing what we talk about right now because it is what we're dealing with. I'm trying to talk about it from a lot of different angles than what a lot of other people are. Uh, but um, and, and we're going to do that a little later on in the show. Yesterday, the governor was in Washington, D.C., meeting with the president, with other governors here in the uh, uh, United States, and uh, talking with him about uh, what the federal government can do for your state and things of that nature. Uh, and at 7.35, Hogan Gidley, who is the uh, deputy assistant to the president, is going to be with us uh, to talk about what it was that the governor talked about. Because the governor's busy. Governor can't do, you know, a, a couple of days every week uh, to, to talk to us here on the radio. So uh, we talk to other people who uh, give us they're, – they're there at the meetings and they share the information with us. So uh, – Hogan will be with us at 7.35 to talk about that uh, big powwow that went on in Washington, D.C. Uh, yesterday. So it's really good to have you uh, have him on today. Uh, in the final hour, we're going to hear from Cassie Smedley uh, and talk about reopening uh, the economy. We're going to talk about that with her. Got a short segment with her, and then we'll have the rest of the hour open for you and I to talk about this. Uh, but I, I, I wanted to put out to you here as we talked into this half hour. If you have a Facebook page, I want you to do me a favor. Just do me a favor and then uh, send me an, an instant message back or whatever uh, and tell me what the results were a couple of days, you know, sometime over the Memorial Day weekend and then I can talk about it. If people enough people do it, I can talk about it on Tuesday when Elizabeth will be with us next week after uh, the Memorial Day weekend is up. I would like you to put down, put a, a question similar to this. If they announced that they had the vaccine tomorrow and you knew that it was safe, all right, would you go get it? Would you have, would you take the shot? Because a lot of you, every year they have the flu vaccine. And a lot of you don't even take the time to go get stuck in the arm and it's free. I mean, you can go to Walmart, go to Target, go to Kroger, go to Walgreens, go countless places. You don't have to go to your doctor and pay a $25 surcharge, perhaps, you can go to those places and they'll inoculate you for nothing. But the more people that I know don't get the shot than do get the shot. Doesn't make sense to me. I mean, look, I have... Uh, specialists on all the time here on the show, and by specialists, people who have been in the business of infectious diseases for decades who tell you, get the flu shot. 
Yeah, it might not be, uh, you know, as good this year as it has been in previous years because we thought it was going to be, uh, you know, flu A1 or it was going to be the bird flu, and it wasn't. It was a different different strain. And so uh, the strain that we gave you the shot with didn't cover that strain. And perhaps you got the flu. However, even though you got the flu, the doctors will tell you, you got uh, a less virulent form. It was not as uh, bad for you as it would have been if you had not gotten the flu shot. But still, that's not enough to convince people. Now, legitimately, there's some people can't take the shots, uh, especially if they've, uh, you know, injected into, you know, eggs to, to multiply the virus and stuff uh, and, and uh, extract it then from the albumin. And uh, it's got uh, pieces of egg in it, kind of, you know, DNA. And if you're allergic to eggs, it could cause a, a terrible response uh, for you. But that's a low, low percentage of people with that. In fact, I think I heard over the last few years that they don't use eggs anymore, and you don't have to worry about that. But because they did it for so long and gave warnings about it, a lot of people think that it's still in vogue, that it's still uh, something to, to worry about when, in fact, that it's, it's not. But... Taking the, those other, those things away, the majority of Americans can get the flu shot. How many people get a flu shot every year? If you do a little searching on it, talk to people like I do. Uh, Dr. Yamauchi is a man that I spend a lot of time talking to when I have questions about infectious diseases because he's worked for the CDC. Uh, his specialty is in infectious diseases. And uh, he'll tell me that uh, we're lucky if 60% of Americans get a flu shot. 60%. Now, that's more than 50, I'll grant you. But wouldn't you want to think that if it would keep you from getting sick or getting really sick, that, you know, 95% of the people would go, and it's free, would go and, and get stuck? And get a and get a shot. Now, why do people not? Some people don't think it works. Some people think that they're being injected with a live virus when they're not. It's a dead virus. It's just fragments of a dead virus. In fact, that's in the uh, uh, the injection. Uh, they don't think that it's really going to work. Uh, they think that it's some kind of government conspiracy. Uh, they think uh, it's going to give their child. Autism. Uh, they, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why people don't get a shot. What's going to be the difference about COVID-19? What's going to be the difference? Because I tell you what, this, the 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 fact that I bring up about what's the percentage overall of people who are being infected, and the percentage of people that die. From this, and I'm, I don't make death a uh, a small deal. I'm not doing that. I just you you just got to grab hold of the reality of the situation. I mean, to be honest, you know, there's a chance that you'll die of COVID nineteen. 
it's a small chance. In fact, it's a very small chance. You know you got a better chance of dying if you get in your car and you drive today. Got a better chance of dying if you do that. The older that you get, the better chance that you're going to die. Let me give you let me give you a big uh, uh, a statistic that I came across. One hundred percent of the people who eat pickles die. A hundred percent. So does that mean you should stop eating pickles? If you put a little logic to that, you know that I'm I'm using that to make a point. It's not the pickles that kill you. It's life that kills you. You're going to die. I know you don't like to think about it, but you're going to die. Everybody's going to die. There's bigger questions around death than COVID-19. Just telling you. There's just bigger questions around it. But churches that open up and have big worship services... And people want to give them all kinds of guff about it because somebody might get COVID-19. Well, you know what? You do that and uh, somebody might catch the other brands of flu that are out there and they could die from it. Anywhere between 35 and 70,000 people a year in the United States alone die from the flu. But just because we've had the flu around ever since you were born, you're not, uh, you're not scared of it. The only reason people got scared of SARS is because it was different. H1N1, because it was different. But there is risk in just living. That's the bottom line. That's something that goes along with life. And that's risk. Everything you do has a risk. You sit down and make up your mind what's a risk worth taking and what isn't. That's why I said that I don't believe the government needed to, to, to do all this other than they were afraid that what would happen is that the hospital system would be overwhelmed. But that would be the only reason why you'd want mitigation. So I'm just asking you today on your Facebook page if the uh, COVID-19 virus vaccine becomes available, let's just say, tomorrow, and it's been proven safe, will you get inoculated? Ask that of the people who are on your Facebook page and see what they have to say. I'll also tell you that the people who depend upon the government for everything are more prone to want the government to take care of them. New poll came out, 48% of the GOP says the worst is over for the COVID virus. Only 8% of Democrats. Only 8%. Goes back to their political beliefs and their beliefs of is enough being done to protect them. That's what it's about. 
All right, it's uh, 18 minutes after 7. We've got to get a break in. Let's do that. Don't forget, coming up at 7.35, Hogan Gidley will be on. He's going to tell us about the, uh, the president meeting with the governors yesterday. One of those governors was our very own Asa Hutchinson. That's all coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So uh, let's talk about your Facebook page and your YouTube uh, views and all of that. Alice Berenson is a social media guru. He's always looking at what they're doing in social media. And uh, our governors, he says, ignoring data to maintain strict coronavirus lockdowns. And how does, uh, you know, Facebook and uh, YouTube control the flow of information? I mean, there's a lot of people... Uh, that are listening right now to think that Google and uh, and and fa- you know Facebook and uh, uh, YouTube and and all the rest of them just allow people to post whatever they want to as long as it's not you know uh, uh, something about somebody that's you know completely false or whatever uh, and and do it and that they don't control any of that you're absolutely wrong they do control it. Uh, there's been an effort to scare people at uh, low risk from COVID-19. That's according to former New York Times reporter Alex Burenson, uh, who's got a book called Tell Your Children. As the coronavirus lockdowns enter their third month, social media giants are tightening censorship against people who protest the lockdowns. And raise evidence the virus may be less risky than initially thought. Thank goodness that's not the way Salem works. Or my last almost hour and a half of my show would have probably been censored. Because I've been basically telling you things are not in any way, shape, or form (coughs) as bad as you've been told. You've been, you've been scared senseless for no reason. Now, I believe that. I think the, the statistics show that. And, uh, you know, Dr. Yamauchi has questioned a lot of the things that have been going on. I need to get him on next week. We will do that. YouTube has pulled videos from scientists and physicians, even those with top-tier credentials. Meanwhile, Facebook has blocked efforts to organize protests against lockdowns. Facebook's stance is particularly problematic because as the largest social media network, it may gain from lockdowns, which force friends or community groups to rely on virtual gatherings instead of real-life meetings. For instance, let's let's look at Zoom. All right, Zoom has been was man. If I said Zoom four months ago, you thought I was talking about a fast car or a fast plane or something like that. Now, many of you know when I say Zoom, I'm talking about an app that allows you to do uh, face-to-face uh, uh, video internet, uh, you know, presentations. What if they controlled? or had the ability to control the flow of information dealing with uh, COVID-19 and 
how and they and they had a story uh, that uh, was trying to post on Zoom that said statistics show that you know people getting together in big groups have just as much of a chance of getting COVID-19 as people that are self-distancing. Now, would they want to put that story out there or would they rather it not get out there because they make money if people are social distancing? You understand what I'm saying now? They got a vested interest in some of this. Investors certainly seem to believe the lockdowns have not hurt Facebook. Its stock rose 5% to an all-time high yesterday. Shares in Google's parent company, which also owns YouTube, also are near an all-time high. Twitter, the third major social media company, is taking a more open and pro-free speech stance Twitter allows debate about whether the societal risk of lockdowns might be worse than the dangers of uh, the virus. My own Twitter following at Alex Berenson has grown 15-fold since March, and Twitter does not appear to be censoring me. As private corporations, social media outlets are not bound by the First Amendment and can remove speech that violates their guidelines. However... Given their reach in the growing political battle over lockdowns amid questions about their efficiency, uh, their censorship actions leave them at risk of backlash. Further, combined with the conventional media's reluctance to question lockdowns and the failure of predictive models from public health uh, experts, social media censorship may actually backfire leading many people to believe they cannot trust the media at all and encouraging them to consider outright conspiracy theories. There's more to this story, and we'll get to it when we got a little bit of extra time. But right now, uh, we got about a minute before we get to Rush, so I want to take a few moments to let you get your mind uh, ready for Rush and what he has to tell you. By the way, yesterday uh, Stein was on for Rush uh, Rush will be back uh, today at 11 o'clock hosting his show. So he'll he'll be there to, to do his show. Uh, you know, Rush does his show from his own studio uh, that he has there in uh, Florida. Uh, he left New York a long time ago over ta- tax policy. Lars Larson, who was on my show yesterday, he was sitting in a bedroom that he uses as a studio while I sat in my dining room here at my house that I use as a studio right now. You know, things have changed. Social distancing has forced that. All right, time for Rush Limbaugh. He's got your morning update here at 101.1 FM, The Answer in the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you. Don't forget about PI Roofing, doing your roof. Uh, If you've had... You know, hail damage or wind damage or whatever kind of damage uh, during the recent storms we've had moved through here in central Arkansas. The folks at PI Roofing uh, will keep the, the social distancing going and make sure that you are safe as far as COVID-19, but get the, the responsibility and uh, the worries about your uh, roof off of your shoulders 
while uh, this COVID-19 craziness is going on. All you got to do is call them, 707-3551, 707-3551, or visit them online at piroofing.com, piroofing.com. They did my roof. They did a great job on it eight years ago. It is. It looks as good now as it did back when they first took off the old roof and put the new roof on after a, a hailstorm. They can do the exact thing for you. 707-3551 or piroofing.com. Special guest with us here uh, for the next uh, 20 minutes or so, uh, the deputy assistant to the president, Hogan Gidley, is going to join us. Yesterday, the uh, governor uh, was in Washington D.C. He got to meet with the president. Now we're going to be we're, we believe in transparency here on the on the show. Hogan Gidley is an Arkansan uh, by blood. Uh, he's up in Washington D.C. right now, but he's uh, from El Dorado or El Dorado, and uh, is uh, going to join us today and uh, and talk about that meeting. And he worked with Governor uh, Huckabee, so. Uh, bottom line is he knows all about us here in Arkansas, so I'm, I'm sure he'll have a much uh, Arkansan view of uh, what went down yesterday. So how did it go yesterday? I mean, uh, did all 50 governors come in, or was it just the Republican governors that went in? Uh, well, actually, we have a Republican and a Democrat. We had the uh, governor of uh, Kansas as well, and then we slapped on an A and an R and brought in Arkansas, too. And uh, okay. it was a really good meeting because, uh, you know, the president's been meeting with, you know, uh, governors from both sides of the aisle. I think that's important because so many of these states are looking to begin to reopen in some form or fashion. All 50 are now moving in that direction, which is great news um, for, for the worker out there who's looking to, to kind of you know, get their life back in some form or fashion. And while we have, you know, suffered some tragic losses, I mean, your heart goes out to everyone affected by this, by this unprecedented pandemic. So many people um, have lost loved ones, friends and family are, are, are torn apart. Your heart breaks for them and your, your prayers go to those families. I mean, this has been a serious issue. Uh, as we move through kind of the health crisis part of this, though, and as we begin to slow the spread and, and the, the trend lines are now going down in metropolitan areas and other places, you have to look at you know the, the, the beginnings of reopening the country in some form or fashion as well. And it looks like now, um, you know, the states are doing that because you know, jobs have been lost some in some instances for, for quite some time. And, you know, you can't keep going as a country like this. And, nope. and we're not built to be this way. We're built to get out and work and, and provide for our families. And, and we're also built to socialize. I mean, just from our own DNA. But you have to do it in a responsible way. And all the folks who want to reopen, I mean, it's in their vested interest to open in a way that's responsible, reasonable, rational, so that you know, it doesn't spike again. So we don't see more uh, illnesses. We don't see more deaths. So I think the American people have done an incredible job up until this point to listen to the health experts, to listen to the medical experts, to pay attention to the updates by the president of the United States. And, and now we've, you know, we've successfully gotten to a point in which reopening is occurring. And that's a great thing and great news for the American people. Yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly with you, Hogan. I, and it's the thing that I really love about our president is that, uh, you know, I, I, I listen to what he says, and I know as I listen to him, deep in his heart, he feels the same way I do, that the individual American has the, the all with all, the understanding of how to protect themselves. 
I mean, I don't think that we had to tell people to self-quarantine themselves or or not get out in, in big crowds and stuff. I think people were smart enough to do that. I think people are smart enough to wash their hands and things of that nature uh, once they're told that that's, that that's the things that you should be doing. Uh, but I, I've watched some governors in this in this country act like many dictators. I mean, seriously, they reminded me of, uh, you know, that Charlie Chaplin's silent movie, The Dictator. Uh, that's the way that they've come off. And, and, and the, the president believes in the American people. And uh, if you ever get a time to, to say hello to him uh, personally, would you just tell him Dave Ellswick said he loves him because <laughs> of that? I love that he believes in the American people. He does. And, and look, having grown up in Arkansas, I, people there understand. They know how to do things a safe way. Like you said, they yep. know how to wash their hands and, and socially distance. And no one's suggesting that when you reopen that you go back to life as normal immediately, right? Like you're going to still have to wear your masks. You're going to have to be a little bit spaced out from other people. But that doesn't mean that we stay in our, our apartments, our homes, um, you know, forever. We've got to begin to, to reopen. Open. I think that's one of the things that the governor spoke about, too, were some of the best practices in the states. What's going on that works? Because, look, what works in Arkansas doesn't necessarily work in Alabama. What works in Mississippi doesn't necessarily work in Massachusetts, Texas, Tennessee. They're all different. And yep. so it's important to make sure that each state come up with its own plan. And it's federalism at its finest. This president said states have the rights to make the, the, their decisions for themselves. And if there's a problem, if, if, if you need uh, ventilators, if you need some of that protective equipment, we're happy to help out. We're there. Uh, we can do this for you because we've rebuilt the stockpile now. We have ventilators by the by the, the tens of thousands. We're expected to have over a hundred thousand by the end of the year. So we've got them in this in this uh, in this stockpile. So we're ready to help out. But you know as well as I do, people in Little Rock, I mean, they want to get back out. I mean, if I were there now and I couldn't go to Local Luna or I couldn't go to Chow Bachi or some other restaurant, I'd be really upset. You know, I, I want to be there. And, and, and granted, I'll be further apart from people than normal but uh you know we got to get out and live our lives and uh move forward uh because you know the devastating lives lost can never be you know made up for by a, a good economy but now we're seeing a lot of reports uh, in the papers and, and on TV that the shutdown itself may end up killing more people than the actual virus because of the suicide rates that are going up, depression, anxiety. People aren't going in for their cancer screenings because they're afraid of, of COVID. They're not going in for their, their heart screenings, um, lung screenings, all the things that they would normally do in regular health care maintenance they're not doing, and that could lead to some devastating results. So we're looking and monitoring all of that, but at the core of this is the American spirit, and while it's taken a few punches along the way, it's never it's never fallen down. It's always been strong, and it's standing up taller than ever, bigger, bolder than it's ever been because we came together as a country. We're going to be better on the backside of this, and it's because of this president's leadership. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about what you just said, people not going in for their checkups. That's very dangerous because the very people that are not going in for their checkups have underlying health uh, problems, which make them more susceptible to COVID-19 and to a, a COVID-19 that could be, you know, uh, bad for their life. You know, I mean, you could kill. So, uh, you know, we got to get people where they'll go back and see their their physicians and not be not be afraid to go to the the emergency room and and things of that nature. I mean, I've heard stories saying that the um, the amount of people coming to a, uh, emergency rooms with 
legitimate heart attacks has fallen, you know, over 50 percent. Well, that doesn't mean that heart attacks have stopped happening. That just means people aren't coming to the hospital. That's not good. Uh, it's not good. Not good at all. It's, it's those comorbidities you're talking about. When you have an, uh, a pre-existing illness that, that, you know, that makes you more susceptible to serious um, injury or death, um, uh, you know, other things from, from COVID-19, that, that obviously is a scary proposition. So it's important that we get out all the proper data. We're dealing with states now on, uh, you know, hour-by-hour hour basis, trying to get information from them so we can find out some best practices they're doing. But also the health data is driving these decisions. And as we've said all along, the science is what, um, what's driving the president's decisions. But you know as well as I do, someone in the science field, if you said, how do you prevent outbreak, they would say quarantine, don't go out. Okay, but that's not feasible forever. And if you talk to an economist, how do you make sure the economy stays afloat? Well, then leave everything open. Well, that, that's a little tricky, too, because the, the illness was unknown. It was, it was very scary at the time. So what do you do? And this president listened to both sides and said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some of this quarantine methodology, implement it for now. And begin to look at ways to reopen along the way. We're going we're gonna to backfill some people who've lost jobs, who've lost income with PPP loans and other things, uh, making sure that workers are protected, making sure our farmers, our ranchers are protected as well. He did all those things, and now he's looking at the data, and as everything starts to go back down, and look, even with more testing, you know, typically we see a spike in some of these places because the testing is better. That's true. But a lot of these places, I'd say even a majority based on the data I've seen, are now going down. Some of the metropolitan areas that we thought would spike, like or the media said would spike, like Georgia, for example, they're opening and their numbers are st- and they have great testing and it's still going down. So it's a major, you know, it, it's it's a it's it's very uplifting. It's very optimistic to look toward the future and say I think we're moving in the right direction. And when you put on top of that therapeutics that are moving faster yeah. than ever before and the potential for a vaccine, you saw um, the story a couple days ago that a vaccine is is moving in the right direction too. And when you hear Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Redfield, Dr. Hahn, all of them saying they've never seen the government move this fast before that the president is moving in a way that you know bureaucrats don't move it's saving lives and that's the great news about this hey i got one question uh, away from exactly what we're talking about but let me ask you a question about fauci stories are all over the internet now about why isn't he showing up uh, on tv as much i gotta believe the guy's just tired of everything that he says being politicized <laughs> Well, I know Dr. Fauci now. I haven't been in meetings with him for the better part of the last three months. Um, yeah, I, I can't say there are too many people over here happy with the way the media covers them, regardless of how they feel about the media. But at the same time, you know, the reason we're getting closer and closer and closer to, you know, effective, safe therapeutics and an effective, safe vaccine is because these doctors and medical experts and health experts are actually working. They're not you know, spending time doing media tours across the country like so many of these congressmen. I mean, my goodness, even even the Supreme Court is taking, um, you know, opening arguments via the phone. Congress is the only branch of government that doesn't seem to be doing much right now. So, um, you know, uh, he wants to work. He wants to get his uh, hands dirty, roll up his sleeves, and make sure that we get a vaccine in record time. Uh, I have faith in him that he'll do that. But, uh, look, we, we talk to Dr. Fauci. He's here just about every day, if not every day, and he's a valued member 
member of the task force. We have a lot of great physicians on that task force, um, a lot of great economists as we've you know expanded that to small businesses as well. So we have a lot of important um, you know knowledgeable voices that we listen to, and so uh, he's just one of many in the room. But but his work's been appreciated for sure. All right, let's take a quick break, and then I will get back with you, and we'll finish up this conversation with Hogan Gidley. He's the deputy assistant to the president. Uh, I'm going to have him tell you, you know, there's there's this narrative in the press, the left press, that the president hasn't been helping the states out. I'm going to let him just tell you how much, how many different masks and gloves and, and PPE material that uh, the federal government has gotten to the state of Arkansas. It will blow your mind. That's coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hogan Gidley is our guest, uh, deputy assistant to the uh, president. We'll continue and finish up our discussion with him after I tell you about what's going on with our good folks over at David Lucas Financial. They want to save you money. Uh, If you take your Social Security at the wrong time, over your retirement, it can cost you uh, somewhere around $111,000. That is, that's a lot of greenbacks. You don't want that to be happening to you. So what you need to do is to give a call over to uh, David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. If you've saved more than $250,000, if you've not filed uh, for Social Security, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free analysis right now at 501-222-3315. Don't be one of the folks that have lost $111,000. Be one of the people who have been proactive and saved $111,000. The free analysis can be done over the phone or video conference. That means you get to keep your social distancing. But you have to call 501 501- Two 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 thirty three fifteen. That's five zero one two 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 thirty three fifteen. Investment advisory services offered through the David Lucas Financial uh, and Arkansas Registered Investment Advisor. All right, back for the final few moments that we've got with Hogan Gidley. Uh, I got a uh, a chart that was sent to me, Hogan, about what the federal government has done to help the state of Arkansas. Not in money-wise, $1.5 billion has helped the state of Arkansas. But as far as PPE, that's the protective gear worn by nurses and doctors and hospitals to take care of the patients that have COVID-19. There is a false narrative that has been portrayed here in this country that this president has not, number one, done enough. I think this president has done uh, a great, great job. And uh, the thing that really irritates me is the story that's not really talked about is how the cupboards were bare when he came into uh, the presidency uh, in, in case something like this happened. And they've been talking about this uh, for decades, about uh, pandemics. And uh, uh, no administration had really done much uh, to uh, prepare for it. This, this president now not only has taken care of the pandemic, but he's preparing as well for the future. Tell my listeners what the federal government do, has done for the state of Arkansas just over the last couple of months, year to date. We'll, yeah, will do. I will say this, though, as you talked about the money, the $3.3 billion in loans to 39,000 Arkansas small businesses. I mean, that's important right there because yep. it keeps people afloat. I think that's important. But from the health side, um, you know, there were there were – 
there were shortages across this country. People were concerned. They were worried because the stockpiles had not been built up at the federal level, but they hadn't really been built up at the state level either. So we got into each state, kind of find out what, what everyone needed. Uh, we knew what they wanted because they were very vocal about what they wanted. But in the time of a crisis, you have to be more surgical. You can't just dump in you know, billions of pieces of equipment like the federal government typically does without having a strategy. Otherwise, the people who need them most won't get them. And so when you saw you know, Governor Cuomo in New York saying, I need 40,000 ventilators, well, we said simply, well, what do you have in the state now? And they didn't know. What capacity do you have to get some? They didn't know. So we had to go find that for them and show them, A, you're not going to need 40,000, but B, you already have several hundred, several thousand in your state, and then we'll backfill whatever else you need. So we had unique partnerships with the public and private sector, and that goes to Arkansas especially. When you needed masks, we got 429,000 masks uh, over to your state. When you needed surgical and uh, uh, procedural masks, you got almost 4 million. Eye and face shields, 175,000. Surgical and exam gloves, 97 million of those went into Arkansas. So we have a lot of those things that we just shipped out directly to Arkansas, but we did it not just – you know, dropping it into some warehouse. We made sure it actually got to the frontline workers. We made sure it got to people who actually needed them. That's what's so different here and unique in the way the federal government works. And I have to just point out one thing. That 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 uh, stockpile we talked about, we did a big uh, kind of media splash with this last week of, of refilling the stockpile. We didn't just refill it. We made it work in a, in a systematic way that they'd never seen before. So it's basically stocked, it's going to be, for 90 days. So that buys everything everyone valuable time to find out if there's another pandemic, how do you actually get you know, more equipment in the country like we just did? But, I mean, you're talking about billions and billions of pieces of equipment going into our stockpile that weren't there before. Pharmaceuticals, there were no non-critical care drugs at all. We're going to have $19.4 billion there. Critical care drugs, almost a billion as well. The gowns, the gloves, the eye masks. I mean, we're talking about you had a handful of million, five, four, three million. Now we're at 20 million, 15 million. Uh, uh, you know, 249 million masks. That's the type of numbers that you need to actually protect a nation. And this president did it because he saw what wasn't there. And one piece of this I think is important, and I'll end with this. Project Airbridge is something that the president wanted done because when we started looking at how do we get masks from other countries in this time of crisis, we looked around the world and we had some coming in, but they usually come by boat. So we said, you know, we had government bureaucrats, oh, they're, they're going to be here, they're going to be here. And we said, when? They said, June, July. And we said, no, no, this whole <laughs> thing's going to have shifted by June or July. How do we get them here now? So this massive public-private partnership with, with FedEx, for example, right there across the border in, in uh, West Memphis and Memphis, and UPS, for example, um, they started shipping them back in their planes. We started loading up these massive cargo planes. So they'd get here within a couple of days. So usually when a hospital's about to run out of something, right, it would run out, and they'd have to let you know weeks in advance. We got it to where all you need to let us know is a couple of days because we can get it to you in a couple of days, meaning when flare-ups happened across the country, we were able to get stuff to them immediately. And when a big flare-up was coming, a a hospital didn't have to tell us a month out, two weeks out, give us 24 hours. We'll get you exactly what you need. That's what's one of the biggest successes about this. All right, fantastic. I just wanted people to hear about that, uh, Hogan, because the media is not telling them. They're just oh, not no. telling them. And and one thing, I had uh, the governor on last week, and we were talking, and I asked about those phone calls that the president makes uh, to the governors. And I said, how how are those? How do those go? And he says, Dave, 
he works well with every governor out there. Well, you wouldn't know that if you watch CNN, MSNBC, CNBC, and all the rest, because they're telling uh, telling us a different story. They've got the governor saying, oh, he's not doing anything. Well, that's not true. It's just not true. And thanks what's for being most, with what's us most today. Disheartening, though, yeah. What's most disheartening, though, is when we have these governor's calls, they're all praising the president. Thank you so much for getting everything you need. Mr. President, I've never seen anything like this. And then they go on television and say, oh, no, it's horrible. We're not getting anything we need. And that's absolutely ridiculous. We know what they yeah. wanted because everyone was scared at the time. But it was more important was what, what do you need? You say you need 100,000 of this, but our, our estimates show you don't have any cases. Why would we send you 100,000? If you want 1,000, we'll send you that. And then we'll have some more to tide you over. But there were hot spots like New York and New Jersey that needed things immediately. And, of course, as you know, the media is not going to cover it fairly. But that's why I'm on your show, to make sure the word gets out. We appreciate you, Hogan. Thank you. Make sure you get back to Little Rock, get some real sweet tea and some cheese dip. We love you, brother. Have a good one. Will do. Thank you, man. All right. We've got Cassie uh, Smedley coming up from the RNC when we return. Uh, get back to the show. We got about nine minutes with Cassie Smedley, our next guest. She's the uh, RNC, the Republican National Committee's uh, Deputy Communications Director, and we want to welcome her here to Little Rock. Hi, Cassie. How are you? Thanks for giving us some moments today. Hey, it's great to be with you. You know, I'm from not too far away, just north of you in Missouri, so it feels like oh. I'm close to home just talking to you. <laughs> okay, so you want me to show you the facts then, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll we do that for you. like that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, got to like that. All right. Well, I want to talk to you about the uh, Republican National Convention. You know, the Democrats, number one, they were going to be in Milwaukee, which was probably the worst place for them to be uh, because they didn't have the rooms that they needed for their delegates and all the rest. I, I was reading about that they were going to have like a third of their delegates down in Chicago. And, and like that's a two-hour ride. Every, you know, there and back again every day. That would have been crazy. And now that, you know, well, we're thinking about doing it virtual. No, we'll do it in August. They don't, we still don't know what they're going to do. Now, we know we're going to be in North Carolina uh, coming up here in August uh, with the Republicans. Is everything moving smoothly towards that? Yes, unlike all the chaos in Milwaukee, we've got a great team down in Charlotte, and they're putting together a convention and maybe it'll look a little different. Maybe the chairs will be a little further apart. Maybe we'll um, have more hand sanitizing stations, but the show must go on. And uh, we're going to plan to have an in-person convention. The president wants to accept his nomination for the party renominating him again um, on Thursday night of the convention week. Uh, I was just 
talking with our communications director down at the convention, Blair, and she said, we got the carpet. And for anyone who's been to a convention, that's a really big part of it. The, the carpet for the floor um, that the delegates will sit on, it's, it's a really big order to put in. So um, everything is full steam ahead. And I think it's because there's also a desire behind it to what that means to have an in-person convention, especially after we've all been in our homes and socially distanced and doing what it takes to be able to safely re-enter in our communities and our and rebuild our economy to uh, to continue this this great tradition and to do it in a way that's safe but that also makes sure that it happens is a big priority for the team and the party and I think for the president. Well, I know that uh, you all are talking with all of the uh, state delegations uh, that are out out there. Ours with uh, Doyle Webb. He's the chairman of the Arkansas yes. State Delegation. He's the longest running chairman in in the Republican Party now. And, and I like to throw that in because it means that he's getting Is over. That, I didn't realize that. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's yeah, he's loved, been there for a long. He's been here for a long time. He's been here for, since dirt was invented. But the the, the the bottom line is is that I hear how everybody here in Arkansas is fired up for this. How about across the state with COVID nineteen that we've had and the, the changes that have been instituted? Are people still fired up about coming to the convention? I would say even more so that there's this desire to not just the enthusiasm for nominating the president again, which we see that just in our volunteer numbers and in the number of people who are signing on to our virtual events and getting their friends involved and the people who have registered to vote, tens of thousands of people just since work from home has began. begun. So we see that enthusiasm there, which indicates yes. But also from our state party chairman and chairwomen that I know of, we haven't heard of anyone who says we're going to pass on going to Charlotte. Everybody's ready to go and ready to say, you tell me how I should go. You tell me what I should do when I get there, but I'm going. And I think it's really important because, again, not only just the enthusiasm for renominating the president, but to be an example for how we can all do this again. It's really yeah. important. And as our partner, oh, go ahead. No, no, you, you, you're fine. I didn't want to cut yeah. you off. Go ahead. No, just our partnership with the city of Charlotte and that they, they, too, want to show the country and, frankly, the world how to have these events again. Um, and I think we thought by this point we wouldn't be the first examples of how to do it, but it looks like we might be. And they're uh-huh. making all of the, the necessary plans, again, to do it in a way that makes sense. But but should do it. And I got to say for the DNC, they've, they've had a lot of hiccups far before coronavirus. I, I lo- I actually went to college in Milwaukee. I love that town, but it seems like from the get go, they never quite wanted to have their convention there, which I don't understand. Yeah. So I, for them to get a virtual convention for them, not to have to have Joe Biden out there, let him stay in his basement. I think they're almost crossing <laughs> their fingers. They can do that, but that is not the case for us with Charlotte and renominating president Trump. Well, let me ask one last thing about Charlotte, and then I'll let you go, because I know you're up against a time constraint. But, Cassie, the Democrats had their convention there four years ago. They left that city Mm -hmm. owing a lot of money. That's not the case with the Republican Party. Uh, We pay our bills, and uh, we are ready, and I'm stoked. I'm really excited about coming. I love it. I'm with you. That's absolutely right. And I think part of that, too, remember from when the DNC was there to renominate Obama, 
they had to deal with a lot of um, issues just with certain vendors that they could have. And were you, you know, certified in this or were you union or whatever? And that caused a lot of extra cost. And yeah. for us, we said we want to work with great American businesses, local businesses, national businesses coming in. And I, um, we're raising the money with our great organizing committee down there. But it's, it's a different story when you just get to pick the best people for the job and the people who want to go out there and um, make sure Charlotte looks great. And we've got a great relationship with the mayor down there as well. I'll give her a shout out. My Lyles has been a good partner too. Um, so I think Charlotte wants to show that they can do this right. And we certainly um, are glad to show how great of a partner we are. All right. Fantastic. Cassie uh, Smedley from the RNC, Deputy Communications Director. She's got another uh, hit at 15 after, so I'm getting her out 45, well, about a minute 45 early. So uh, take a deep breath and get ready for your next one. Thanks, Cassie, for being with us today. Great way to start the day. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. Cassie Smedley here on the Dave Ellswick Show. The RNC, the the National Convention, is being uh, uh, prepared. I'm excited about going. Uh, We'll be going uh, there. I don't know whether it's going to be Russ with me or Heidi. One of the other will be going. I'm I'm expecting fights to break out in the hallways any time now as we get closer uh, to making that decision. It's the Dave Ellswick. I'm just kidding. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. We've got to get to your traffic. When we come back, I want to finish up on that article that I was telling you about uh, dealing with uh, what's going on in the world of Facebook and YouTube and, and, YouTube and how they're uh, controlling information about the Corona uh, 15, uh, 19, the COVID-19 uh, virus that out there is out there, and it's not good. More coming soon on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we're uh, running towards the 9 o'clock hour now. It's 8.18 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me remind you that our weather uh, is looking pretty nice today. Uh, some clouds in the sky, but a lot of sun as well. High today, 77, a little bit more humidity around. Tomorrow, uh, humid, clouds and sun, high in the mid-80s. It's going to feel like it's in the low 90s, and uh, currently... Uh, here in uh, central Arkansas, we're already into the 60s and going to be a warm day today uh, for us here in central Arkansas. Back in the uh, 7 o'clock hour, I was talking about how Facebook, YouTube, uh, and that's the two main uh, social uh, media uh you know, purveyors out there that uh, they were censoring stuff and and. They can do that because they're privately owned uh, companies. Uh, But uh, the coronavirus uh, censorship that's going on became an issue uh, when Susan Wojcik, the uh, CEO of YouTube, told CNN back on April 19th that YouTube would ban videos contradicting the WHO. Isn't that really great? I mean, like the WHO has been on top of all truth, justice, and the American way, right? Uh, The WHO uh, guidelines about coronavirus. Instead, YouTube says they were going to be focused on the stay-at-home messages and would be raising authoritative information. In other words, I guess if it came from uh, some uh, group that had a bunch of people uh, in it, like the WHO, they would, you know, promote that. 
But if a group of doctors uh, came out and said something different, that may not be allowed to be on YouTube when, in fact, maybe it was right. Of course, take into consideration that uh, the WHO has repeatedly changed its own statements on coronavirus. Uh, For example, they tweeted Uh, that antibodies to the coronavirus do not confer immunity to the virus. Then just hours later, just hours later, they deleted that and started reporting that antibodies likely, quote, provide some level of protection, unquote. Uh, And uh, the CEO didn't mention how YouTube might treat changes in the WHO messaging. In fact, they could lead some, love something up because they didn't see something new and be giving out erroneous information. On April 27th, YouTube followed through on her threats, removing video of a press conference from two California physicians. I'm sure a lot of you guys saw that. And, uh, you know, they were not uh, towing the line as far as the WHO and what they were saying. The physicians argued that COVID fatality rates were lower than commonly reported uh, and that forcing people to stay inside for prolonged periods of time might actually damage their immune systems. At the time, YouTube removed it. The press conference had been viewed more than five million times by then. In a statement, YouTube said it censored, quote, content that explicitly disputes the uh, information of local health authority recommended guidance on social distancing, a stance that, if uh, repeated on other issues, could lead YouTube to block content that disputes any government statement. And that's not good. And if you don't think that they wouldn't do that, consider that YouTube has worked, you know, hand in hand with the Chinese government to censor all kinds of stuff in China. The people in China, uh, their content is censored, uh, you know, a hundred, a thousand times more than what our content is. But for people who think that if you watch YouTube and Facebook, you're getting uncensored content, you are not. (coughs) That's not happening. Since then, YouTube censorship has continued. Less than a week ago, the site removed a video from uh, Newt Winkowski, the former head of uh, epidemiology. Let me get back to my story there. At Rockefeller's University Center for Clinical and Translational Science, criticizing the lockdowns. His video had been viewed about one and a half million times, and then YouTube removed it. Uh, saying that it didn't go along with what the WHO was saying. Meanwhile, Facebook, which more than half of all Americans use, think about that for a moment, has repeatedly censored groups trying to organize anti-lockdown protests. Events that defy government's guidance on social distancing aren't allowed on Facebook, said a Facebook spokesman on April 20th. Why not? Don't people have the right to hear that uh, in uh, their state, in their locality in a state, that they're having a, uh, a get-together, so to speak? 
uh, and uh, to, to say that they don't like the lockdowns, evidently, according to Facebook, no, absolutely not. On May 13th, Facebook took its most aggressive action yet, removing the 38, uh, 380,000 member group Michiganders Against Excessive Quarantine, one of the original anti-lockdown groups. It then quickly removed a replacement group called Stand Up Michigan. Ironically, the censorship efforts may have backfired by leading people to conclude that they cannot trust media outlets. And if you've been trusting media outlets, I mean, I don't expect you to listen to my show and not challenge what I'm saying. I want you to to look at what I'm saying, break down what I'm saying, and uh, do some background information. And I think if you do, I believe that uh, you will see that uh, I'm I'm right most of the time. I may be wrong once in a while, but I I, I stand by uh, my views and my opinions and where I and how I form those opinions. Uh, media outlets uh, to give them any kind of honest information. They did. They, they, People are believing they can't get that, uh, and they can't get it about the coronavirus, and, and it's driving them to conspiracy theorists such as Judy uh, Mikovits, whose short film Pandemic contains several bizarre theories, including that a flu vaccine may be responsible for the, he- the high death toll in Italy. Though YouTube and Facebook have removed Pandemic repeatedly, it's been viewed millions of times. In contrast... Twitter is uh, uh, avoiding, and here's the key. If there's something up there, and let's say that, you know, it's craziness. Like, I think that the conspiracists who believe that the government brought down the World Trade Centers are nuts, okay? But go ahead and put up all the material you want to uh, about it. Because if people see that it's up and then all of a sudden it's removed, what does that drive people to do? It drives a lot of people to search it out and see it to see why it was removed. There must be some truth to it, right? There must be something there they don't want you to think about. That's the key. In contrast, Twitter is avoiding outright bans on content. Quote, we're trying to a nuanced approach uh, that recognizes there is a huge amount of emotion and vitriol in all sides of this issue. We're trying to make sure that factual debate finds a way through. Twitter prefers to label posts that it views as potentially problematic rather than remove them. We think it labeling it will allow the conversation to continue. Unfortunately, YouTube and Facebook seem to prefer just to stop the conversation. You know, think about that. That's from Alex Berenson, some of the material that I just used. He's a former... Surprising. He's former uh, New York Times reporter and author of the book, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Berenson. That's B-E-R-E-N-S-O-N. Alex, A-L-E-X, Berenson. All right. So uh, when we come back, uh, we'll uh, continue uh, to talk here on the Dave Ellswick Show I'm looking to see about a, a story that just broke here just recently. I'm trying to get to it right now, see uh, if it's if I've got something new on it. Looking, 
I'm working on it. All right, what do we got here? Uh, the lead story right now from Fox News, just so you'll know. From building trucks to ventilators, Ford plants crisis response on display during uh, Trump's Michigan visit. I'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, sobering stats, stark numbers reveal coronavirus deadly for the elderly, but mostly spares uh, the young. And that's looking at it across uh, a large area. And there was a gunman at the Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi. I'll bring you up on that. But he's been neutralized. Uh, the base is in a lockdown uh, right now. Uh, usually when they say they are neutralized, it means that they have killed the individual that was doing the, uh, the shooting. Because, you know, you don't want to say you killed somebody. Uh, you neutralized. You've got to make it sound, you know, more antiseptic and, and nicer uh, to do that. Uh, kind of crazy, but that's uh, the way it has been working. Uh, the individual opened fire at the Texas base around uh, 6.15 our time, was neutralized shortly thereafter, according to the Navy. This, uh, this facility is uh, remaining on lockdown. One security guard was reported to be injured while first responders have arrived on the scene. I'll give you the official statements of the NAS and all of that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. But right now, we've got to get Sean. Sean Hannity is going to join us. He's got some time to talk to us, and uh, we don't want to cut him short in any way, shape, or form. It's going to be a nice day today, high of 77, some clouds, lots of sun, right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, I got those big stories for you I want to get to. Uh, currently, uh, this just broke out uh, today. Graph just popped up on my phone. Uh, 520 overview. As of uh, yesterday, there have been 5,003 confirmed cases of corona, uh, the COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Uh, 95 in Faulkner County, since I'm in Faulkner County. Or not in Faulkner County. Uh, right now I'm in uh, Lono County. But over in the Conway area, you got 95 cases. Uh, I've understood that here in Lono County, uh, we've done very good on the amount of cases that we have had. Uh, I think we've had just one death. Uh, but a little over 100 deaths in the state. And again, let's put this in perspective, folks. Put it in perspective, please. That's out of... A little over 3 million people. 3 million people. Plus, we don't know exactly how this has all been put together as uh, far as um, the people who have died. Was it just COVID-19 or was it an underlying underlying, uh, health problem that... uh, took him to death's door and uh, you know they ended up dying all right so uh, naval air station in corpus christi that's down uh, there along the gold coast uh in uh, texas uh was placed on lockdown early this morning after reports of an active shooter according to the navy the individual who opened fire at the texas base about 650 uh, 6:15 our time was neutralized, nice word for killed, shortly thereafter, the Navy says. The facility remains on lockdown. Uh, 
One security guard was reported to be uh, injured while first responders have arrived on the scene. A statement on uh, NAS Corpus Christi's Facebook page earlier said, quote, NAS Corpus Christi is now in a lockdown status. There is an active shooter in the vicinity of the North Gate. That's not the case any longer. Uh, if you are in or near the North Gate, get out and away to safety. Execute lockdown procedures. Uh, remain indoors and away from windows. Uh, the Corpus Christi Police Department, in a tweet, also urged locals to please avoid the area entirely. And uh, Fox says it's a developing story, and they'll have updates as they become uh, available. But uh, that's uh, the latest on that. There's been people uh, wanting to know about that, to be honest. All right. So here's the stark numbers that they uh, say they come up with now. Uh, coronavirus stats underscore how disease takes disp- disproportionate toll on elderly, largely spares younger Americans. Uh, as the debate builds over when and how to reverse the economic shutdowns and stay-at-home orders meant to slow the spread of the uh, coronavirus, government statistics show that the disease poses a significant danger. To older generations, yet largely spares those in the middle age or younger. While this disparity was previously known, statistics released as the pandemic goes on starkly, new word that they've used here, starkly illustrates its real-life effects. CDC statistics show more than 80% of those dying of the virus are over 65 years old. The CDC on its website reports 68,998 total deaths in the U.S. as of May 16th. (coughs) 55,651 of those deaths, or 80%, covers people over 65. Now, understand these statistics that they're giving you. They said 80%. That doesn't mean that 80% of people over 65 are going to get COVID-19 and die. That's not what it's saying. It says, of the people who have been diagnosed with this and have died, 80% of them fit into the statistic of over 65 years old. The CDC's official count is lower than the actual number of American coronavirus deaths, which is now upward of 90,000 because of the lag in time between when the death occurred and when the death certificate is completed, submitted to the NCHS and processed for reporting process. But the agency's reporting underscores prior warnings that the coronavirus generally hits the elderly the hardest. And uh, it goes on to say the numbers in individual states, which are reported more quickly and often in more detail, can be even starker. In Pennsylvania, as of May 17th, for example, 87.4% of the reported deaths are in people 65 years or older, and 44% of deaths have been in people over 84 years old. Just over half of Pennsylvania's deaths have occurred in hospitals But a whopping 43.4% have happened at long-care, long-term care care facilities. Okay, so that would mean, if you look at just those statistics, that if there 
if there are nursing homes out there or that you have a elderly you know uncle or mother or father or grandmother or grandfather and they're in one of these facilities it probably would behoove you to challenge uh, the facility not challenge them but question uh, what the facility is doing to protect your loved one because the chances of uh, death are higher or are at the highest in those facilities I mean, if you think about the different stories that have been reported from the West Coast to the East Coast, from Washington State to New York City, uh, it has been uh, in the uh, nursing homes <coughs> that a lot of people have been stricken with this virus and have been killed. It only makes sense. If we think about it, it only makes sense. Think about older people. Uh, and I, I got to put myself in that category now. <coughs> they typically have underlying health care or, or health uh, problems. Look, I got type 2 diabetes. Now, I got it under control. My A1C is in a very low sixes. Uh, you talk, uh, you know, I had a quintuple bypass operation four years ago. I got high blood pressure. I got a lot of things that work against me. Uh, as far as that goes. <coughs> so if I get COVID-19, I'm going to have a tougher time than probably Heidi, who is back at the uh, the station running the show, who probably doesn't worry about, you know, getting the, the flu all that much. She just knows she's going to miss work for three or four days because she's going to be sick. And she's going to complain about, yeah, had a bad fever and I uh, I threw up a lot or something. But she's not going to talk like maybe somebody like uh, me or other people that are my age that say, man, that was the worst case of the flu I've ever had. I was in bed for five days. You know, and some people say this. I thought I was going to die. Those are older people. I mean, you get with a bunch of older people. What do they talk about? They talk about their health problems. Drives me crazy when I get with some of my friends, and now it's like blah 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 about that. And I guess I'm I can be held accountable because uh, I, I've kept you guys up to date on the problem with my foot. Okay, and uh, but I just figured you want to make sure that they're not sawing off any more of me. They already took off some of me. They don't want want to make sure they didn't take off more. Plus, I want you that have uh, type 2 diabetes to understand it doesn't take a lot to get you in a situation where amputation might be something that they start talking to you about and that you should be taking good care of it. And even when you take good care of it, sometimes you get an infection uh, that uh, can make things worse. So you, you just look at these numbers, and they're pretty stark. Uh, counts at both the national and state levels are complicated by fa- factors, including different methods of reporting, deaths that are erroneously reported as other illnesses, incomplete testing that uh, leaves many who have come down with the virus but have no or only minor symptoms uncounted in time lag. But the numbers still illustrate that older Americans who catch the disease are in significant dangers while their younger counterparts are at much higher risk. I mean, my doc, 
real clear to me. Just said, Dave, you know, just stay away from big crowds right now. You know, a couple months you'll be okay. But right now you need to stay away from big crowds because in the big crowds, there's going to be somebody that has something. Bottom line, you don't want to get it. And the best way of not getting something is not to be around something. So uh, she she preaches this, Dr. Uh, Drisco, over at the Wound Center to me every week. I hear it every week. I hear it from my wife every day. You know, uh, she doesn't like that I go over to Walmart now. She'd rather I stay away. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, I wish I carry a little bottle of, uh, you know, highly um, alcohol content hand sanitizer with me and i i've done that for a long time uh, before covid19 but i uh, i i do my my hands on a regular basis because i know that hand to my face is where most of the time this stuff moves and then i'm touching a lot of things now new story just came out remember how they were saying uh, they talked about the cruise liners, and they found uh, coronavirus 19, 17 days after everybody had left and all of that. Now the CDC is saying uh, in one of their big reports, getting it from a surface is a lot harder than they ever thought. So just to be honest with you, all I do is if I look like I, uh, I'm touching stuff a lot, I use uh, my hand sanitizer. For instance, if I'm pushing a, a buggy around, I uh, I take and I uh, I hand sanitize not only my hands but I hand sanitize uh, anything that I'm gr- gripping the handle to push that hand sanitizer. I just take it and wipe it over it. All right, we got to get a break in. Twelve minutes till nine o'clock. Uh, I'll tell you what's coming up tomorrow. We got a full show tomorrow. You won't want to miss any of the show tomorrow. It's going to be a great show. We'll talk about it in a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you. Uh, Let me get to telling you what's uh, going to be happening tomorrow because the day is past. It's time to talk about uh, tomorrow. And uh, uh, our show tomorrow is jam-packed with all kinds of people that are going to be on the, uh, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. First of all, Jenna Ellis will join us. Uh, a great uh, conservative columnist, and she will join us uh, at the uh, 6.35 point of the show and, uh, and, and sit and spend time talking to us. Also tomorrow, uh, a woman who's become a kind of a two or three times a month guest on the show and that people have shown the propensity that they really like her, uh, Liz Harrington will be with us uh, tomorrow. And she's going to talk with us tomorrow as well. Then uh, at uh, 7 o'clock, Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett will join us. And they'll go with us until 8.30. And at 8.30, Harding University is going to stop by and and talk about uh, some new things that they have as far as, you know, master's degrees and things of that nature. And people have found those uh, different things to talk about. Uh, very interesting. Liz, by the way, has written a new op-ed that you, you've, 
I hope you'll read. I'll make sure I post it late this afternoon, talking about how the Democrats are pushing, you know, mail-in ballots. And if you were listening to the show yesterday, Lars Larson, a friend of mine who is a talk show host at KXL out in Portland, Oregon, uh, was on talking about mail-in ballots. And he says the main argument for mail-in ballots was simply that more people would become involved in the uh, elections in voting if they didn't have to go to a polling place and stand at a machine and yada, yada. Well, the fact is uh, the amount of people going uh, or voting uh, has uh, gone down in Portland, not up, and that uh, people are, uh, you know, voting by mail. They don't have time just to do that. You know, you either want to be part of the process or you don't want to be part of the process. And uh, or you think that it's a worthwhile endeavor or you don't think it's a worthwhile endeavor. And I don't care how you do it. I mean, look, they can make it that you uh, could get an app for your phone and vote on your phone. And I don't think, uh, you know, the amount of people voting in this country would go up significantly, you know. Uh, because uh, they're not engaged. They, you know, when you're younger, you typically think, "What the hey, I don't care. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, have a decent job. Uh, and I want to have enough money. If you're a guy, you're thinking about, I need to have enough money so I can go out and, and, and take a young lady to a date. Uh, you know, head out and have dinner, maybe go see a movie, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then that changes when you finally find the lady that was really important for you to meet. And the two of you decide that you're going to get married. Then they, you may have to make the decision. Are you going to have kids? And then if you have kids, I can tell you what happens to the guy. Uh, he goes into father mode and the lady's going to go in mother mode. And uh, the guy is going to be really going to be, I got to get my uh, career in gear. I got to get my butt in gear. I have, I I don't, I got to do more than just, you know, feed myself ramen noodles. I've got to feed my kids and I got to feed my wife. I got to pay a house payment and, and all, all. And look, ladies, I understand that you have careers too, but in most men's minds between their ears, they are the number one person responsible for that kind of stuff. That's exactly how how us guys uh, think. We we really we really 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 do. All right. So Jenna Ellis tomorrow at six thirty-five. She's going to talk about uh, General Flynn and the judge, uh, Nat Sullivan. Uh, ignoring the basic rule of law concept. I mean, here, I want you to think about something. Let's say you were arrested for um, stealing from your company, all right, and it didn't happen. You didn't do it, all right, and before you got to trial, the prosecution and the defense uh, says, look, there's nothing here. We've shown you that the stuff isn't true. The The witnesses said they did, you know, yeah, we said this to the news media, but the reality is we have no proof of this. And so the prosecution is going to says, well, we could drop it. The AG gets involved and says there's nothing here. We're not, you know, let's just 
this is uh, erroneous prosecution. And then uh, you got a judge that that stands up that's over the case and says, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to continue on and we're going to let other people uh, get involved with us. Other other lawyers and judges and say why they think the person is either guilty or uh, not guilty, even though a judge in the Supreme Court in this case, it's, uh, uh, you know, the the fantastic uh, older judge that we've got on there that everybody loves so much, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and uh, and says that judges don't have the right to stop stuff like that, and yet this Judge Sullivan is doing just that. Think about that if you were in that. You think that that would be a miscarriage of justice? I damn right know that you would. Absolutely would think that. Liz Harrington will talk about the fraud Democrats was once were warning us about yes they warned us about and that's uh, voting changes that they now are calling for that's what we're going to talk about with Liz so she starts it off tomorrow at 605 then uh, Jenna Ellis will be with us at 635 you won't want to miss either of those uh, about 20 minute interviews a lot of important information then Robert Steinbach will be with us He'll start at 7.05 along with Chris Corbett. And uh, I want to talk about uh, Mayor Scott and about this independent council he wants to start up uh, to look at the Little Rock Police Department. I think that uh, is an interesting story as well. We'll discuss it tomorrow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I hope that you'll be with me. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I thank you for being with me. I thank you for making uh, this, uh, this show one of your stops. And uh, to be with us, let me remind you about what the weather is looking like. Times of sun and clouds today, high of 77. Uh, Clouds with sun and a thunderstorm on Friday, high of 85. Saturday, humid, periods of sun, 86. Sunday, shower and thunderstorm around 87. Monday, shower and thunderstorm around high of 82. Currently, here in Little Rock, it's 64 degrees. I'm out of here. See you tomorrow, 6 a.m. on the Dave Ellswick Show.